people would ask me, did you do it for social media? I was like, no, I did it because I wanted, I actually didn't want to be on social media. It happened to be that I, I was convinced to share it and I'm glad I did that because um, it was more for people than myself now because I prove it to myself I can do it and I know I can do it. I want people to know that you can do anything you put your mind to and I'm going to share all the stuff I go through, the injury, the trials and tribulation. I share the good and the bad. Even when I share the bad, people will be like, why are you doing this? Stop. And my mindset about running is like life. When we go through a tough time in life, we don't tap out. We don't give up. We find a way we fight through. It might be tough. We might cry. We might hurt. We might feel miserable. We might have this stomach feeling that we can't sleep, but we don't tap out. We find another day, right? Hella Sadibe, and as he would say, what's up, my beautiful people? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Every week on this show, I glean insight and inspiration from athletes, coaches, and others to help show you what's possible through the lens of running. This week's guest fits that description so well. Hella Sadibe is a former pro soccer player turned runner who strives to inspire and change lives through sharing his life experiences. Last year, he became the first black man to run across the United States, which he did in a very quick 84 days, and he's been running every day since May 15, 2017. His Hella Good YouTube channel has nearly 275,000 subscribers, of which I am one of, and his energy and enthusiasm for running, life, and tackling big challenges is incredibly infectious. In this conversation, I got to know Hella a bit better and hear more about his story. He told me about coming to the U.S. from Mali as a kid and what it was like settling into his new country. Hella told me about playing soccer throughout his life and how running until just a few years ago was something that he viewed as a form of punishment. He explained how making the commitment nearly five years ago to run 10 minutes a day for two weeks snowballed into something bigger than he could have ever imagined. He told me about giving himself permission to quit if he's just not enjoying it anymore and how he's used YouTube and social media to inspire others through his example and bring awareness to initiatives that are bigger than himself. We also talked about his relationship to pressure and how that's evolved over the years, why it's important to be intentional with your running, and a lot more. Before we get into this one, I'd like to thank Tracksmith and the members of our Patreon community for making this episode possible. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me. They aim to celebrate, support, and contribute to running's distinct culture in everything that they do. From offering considered and original products for training, racing, and recovery, to creating experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. The brand's latest initiative, the Tracksmith Foundation, a nonprofit led by Russell Dinkins, is one such example. The goal is simple yet ambitious to give more people the opportunity to participate in track and field. This is a mission that I believe in and I want to support in any way that I can. As such, when you shop at tracksmith.com slash Mario, where you can also check out my favorite apparel picks for getting through the worst of winter, and or if you use the code Mario22 when you check out, you'll get free shipping on your order and 5% of your purchase will go to the Tracksmith Foundation. Tracksmith didn't ask me to do this. I asked them if I could do this as part of our partnership and they agreed to it. 
I've seen and experienced firsthand how track and field can change people's lives. It introduces you to a wide range of people with different abilities, backgrounds, religions, races, and socioeconomic statuses. It forges lifelong friendships. It teaches discipline and hard work. It can literally and figuratively take you places, and it will make you a better version of yourself off the track as well. I want more people to experience all that this great sport has to offer, and I'm proud to be partnering with a brand that's actively working to help create those opportunities. The Morning Shakeout's Patreon community is where super fans of the podcast and newsletter can support my work directly, interact with me, and also gain access to some exclusive content like the Weekly Rundown, which is a Patreon-only podcast that I co-host with my friend Billy Yang, a monthly Coach's Corner discussion where I cover training-related topics with a fellow coach or coaches, and other fun perks such as merchandise and behind-the-scenes sneak peeks that pop up from time to time. You can join for as little as a buck a week at themorningshakeout.com support. A big thank you to all of you who are already members. Your support means so much to me and will help keep The Morning Shakeout sustainable for a long time to come. Okay, that's it for the introduction. This is a super fun one, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. This is me with the incredible, energetic, and inspiring Hela Sidibe. Okay, Hello, Sidibe. It's great to meet you and a pleasure to have you on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you for having you, Mario. I'm excited to be here. Forgive me if this is an obvious question, but I got to get it out of the way first. Have uh-huh. you run today? Yes, I did. I did. And I, and I loved it. Um, and the thing about the running, actually, that was a little bit not fun was because I had to rush to get it done, you know? I wish I was out there a little bit longer because I had to go and, and do other stuff that I committed to prior to to um, to that. I had to get the run in. So I was able to get it in, which I was happy because um, my mentality is you got to find a way to get it done. But today's run has been done. Where does it typically fit into your day? Do you try to knock it out of the way first thing so that you can get on with your day? Or does it just matter like where you are, what you have going on and how it fits in? Yeah, where am I? What I have going on? But um, I, at one point too, it was like first thing in the morning. But that's because I want to do it. One of the big, the best thing for me that I love about this whole thing is I do it whenever I want, whenever I feel like it. Because there's been times where I'm just like, I don't want to run right now. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to run at all. It's just in that moment. So I let mm-hmm. myself be like, okay, you don't have to run right now. You know, you'll get it done. Um, so whenever I feel like I get the urge, sometimes I get motivated. I'll see a runner. I'll see something that motivates me. And I got to get mine in. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm going to wait till later. So the mindset is, you want to take care of business right now, or you're going to take care of business later. It doesn't matter when you get it done, as long as you get it done. So um, right now, it's one of those things where, since I'm kind of nursing an injury, I'm basically almost 100%. Um, I take my time. I do my warm-up routine in the house, 10, 15 minutes, activating the glutes, the hamstring, the hip muscles, and get out there. So there's no actual definite time. It's just like whenever I want to do it. And I think that's important. Have you always had that kind of mentality even outside of running? Like, this thing is important to me, and I'm just going to get it done. I might not get it done right now, but it's important to me, so I'll make sure that I get it done when yeah. I feel motivated to do so. I, no, I think running brought that into my life. Really? Running brought that into my life, yeah, because um, I was always afraid of running. I didn't like running. Um, I played Division One soccer, uh, played soccer my whole life, 
But I absolutely did not like when we just have to run to run. When you mess up, the coach will say on the line, when a teammate gets arrested, the next day you show up to practice, put the goals away, put the cleats away. You run for two hours. We played a national ranked team, uh, UNC Charlotte. We're there the day before a game. We're not doing well. Coach is making us do hill sprints. We're about to play a top team in the country. So running was something that I didn't like. But when I got into running, it was a, a thing of letting myself love it. Let it not be a fear. Do it pressure free. So that idea came of, getting it done whenever because that takes pressure off and yeah. if i didn't do that now there's gonna be added pressure why i hated running so there's zero pressure i have zero pressure every day i get out there i know i'll get it done so knowing that it makes you feel good mentally because you're not like your heart isn't beeping oh my gosh i gotta get it done by two o'clock but sometimes you gotta trip you gotta do something yeah you gotta step it up a little bit but the fact that as long as i said as long as you take care of business doesn't matter when and how just take care of business so I think running really enforced that in my in my in my mindset in my body as well. But prior to the whole run journey, I wasn't really focusing on that. There was so much thing that I put pressure on myself, and running made me realize it's not that big of a deal. Um, it's a privilege to do it. What's the streak at as of today? Today is one thousand seven hundred twenty-six, and uh, yeah, people think like, how do you keep track of this number? But the beautiful part is technology, because uh, my yeah. my watch keeps track of it. And uh, sometime when I talk about it, so I talk about it with you today. So I know if someone asked me in three days, I was like, well, two days ago was 1,726. So you just add it up. But yeah, I haven't missed a day. And there's a little fun fact in that, actually. My streak is much longer than that. It's much longer than that. But the thing is, when I started using my watch to record it, that was May 15th of 2017. So officially, I said my streak started then. Because if someone comes and say, now that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks, say, hey, can you show me since day one? Right, I have right. proof of day. I have proof of day one. I don't have proof of um, four, four, three, four days before when I started doing it. Um, so it just happened to be on May fifteenth, two thousand seventeen. So I go off of that. So today is day one thousand seven hundred twenty-six. So I, I'm actually cutting myself short, which I don't <laughs> mind because that's what I have proof of. If you had to guess, how many additional days would you say are on the streak? Like uh, that, that, I would add to this. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that aren't recorded on a watch. Do you know? Oh, or like at least three to four days, three, four days okay. I started because I just went out there, I was doing it and I would, yeah, I think I would say that. It just, just went out there and I was like, I just want to run. I just want to give this thing a try. Let me just go out there and just and see what it is about with no pressure. Going back to something you just said a couple minutes ago, before you started this journey, before the streak started, I mean, you've played soccer your entire mm -hmm. life. And the way that you described it, running was a form of punishment. Punishment, uh-huh. I, I understand that as well. Before I started running, I played basketball, a little bit of soccer, but ball sports and running was that. It was a form of punishment. Like we had to do wind sprints at practice. Uh -huh. We had to do laps if we were late. I yeah. mean, that that sort of thing. And the way you describe it now, it's the complete opposite of that. Like it's something that you get to do, something that you choose to do. It's not something yes. that someone is is telling you to do. When did that flip for you just that mindset and the way that you looked at it yeah so 2017 um i've had this up and down in, in my life and i think everybody has their tough time in life and i got to a point end of college and there's professional opportunities and there's so many issues that was preventing me to fully tap into that opportunity that i was getting now that i was saying if i had that opportunity guaranteed that i would guarantee be the best player in the world right now for soccer but in my mind i thought i could but there's so many things that were limited due to my status being an immigrant in the U.S., 
um, visa issue. I was here legally, visa is legal, everything, but there's international roster issues. There's certain things. So I got to a point where the dream of being a, a professional soccer player was the plan at that point, was starting to slip away, things that were out of my control. So I tried. I did what I can do. Um, I did get to sign a professional contract. I did get to play, but it was all limited. I couldn't. I had opportunity to play in Europe. I couldn't go to Europe because I was denied visa to enter into Europe. And uh, so I went into this state of depression. I 100% believe now. Back then, I didn't know. I didn't because yeah. I was just always mad in the mood. Um, always bad energy um, in my own head. Everything bothered me. Pointing fingers, and some of the pointing fingers were very good, valid excuses for me because I had no control over it, but they were valid. But the fact that I had no control of, over it. So fast forward to 2017, I said to myself, hello, why Why are you going to waste your energy on something that you can't do anything? What can you do for yourself? Stop being a baby. Stop being excuses for yourself. Hold yourself accountable. Make a promise to yourself and keep it. And what can you do that you're afraid of that you know you're in control of? And running was kind of like in the back of my mind. Um, and I always mention this. I always have to mention this guy, uh, Paul Wallace. Um, he's from London. He does a YouTube channel. He has no idea who I am. I try to reach out to him. Um, it's called Supercars of London. Paul Wallace one day is a, the biggest car nerd I've ever met in my life. And I'm a car nerd too. And um, on social media. So he's like, I want to try running. I've never played really sports much in my life. And so I had this like little thing. I was like, huh, look at this guy. He's not an athlete like I am. Running should be something easy. If he wants to do something, I should be able to do it. So that was in the back of my mind. This is January of 2017. And that was in the back of my mind. He didn't say to run every day, but he was like to try running. So that was stuck in the back of my mind, seeing that video of his for New Year's. And then getting to a point where I wanted to make a promise to keep myself. I always say, hey, like, go to the gym for one week, two every day, two days, three days in, I tap out. I don't stay consistent. So all of that. And I had this one of um, look at yourself in the mirror moment. I didn't go look at myself in the mirror, but I had this conversation with myself. I talked to myself a lot. And I was like, all right, what are you in control of? All the adversities you're going through right now, they're valid excuses, but you have no control over it. What can you control? And running was something I was like, hmm, as an athlete, you think about athletic stuff. And I said, you know what? I was afraid of running. Let me see if I can enjoy it. Let's just do 10 minutes a day for two weeks. And it wasn't that 10 minutes wasn't um, something that was hard for me, but it was attainable. And I know there was no pressure. Yeah. I could have done more, but if I were to tell myself, go run five miles or 10 miles a day for two weeks, now that's a pressure that I might not be able to keep up. But I know 10 minutes was attainable. And 10 minutes didn't even last because I, I knew my recommend, my requirement was just 10 minutes and that was a breeze. And within a week, it was like, I started doing three, four miles. I'm like, wow, every day. And um, so that 2017, that was the day that I was just, that was the turning point for me. I think what you just described is where a lot of people get stuck, not necessarily with running specifically, though that's one thing, but any mm -hmm. new thing that someone wants to start because they say, okay, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm going to do, you know, in your case, like five miles, but then that's unsustainable. And they're afraid to set the bar too low. And I mean, I coach a lot of runners and we work through this a lot of times yeah. i'm like hey let's find something that is is a really low bar that we know yeah. that we can clear you can handle, and that we yeah. can clear consistently because mm -hmm. if you can do that it's going to plant that seed in your mind like every yeah. day or on a weekly uh -huh. basis whatever that consistency is for Correct. you and then it's going to grow um, yeah, and once exactly. it becomes a habit and yeah. i mean you've developed like quite the habit now yeah. at over like 1700 straight days of running you're not going to want to stop that and then it just becomes part of who you are yes exactly you said that so well and i think having that something that you can attain 
it doesn't mean you're going to stick to stay at that. You're obviously going to get better. You're going to get comfortable, so comfortable with that where um, it doesn't, you can't get it wrong. So keep doing it until you can't get it wrong. You can't get that wrong now. Now you up it up a little bit and keep adding. Yeah. I tell my athletes all the time, you got to give yourself somewhere to go. And mm-hmm. that applies to so many things. It could be, you know, doing something every day, but even yeah. like, the performance-minded athletes that I coach, I think what this comes down to is step one is accepting where you are at the time. So at the time, I mean, yes. you weren't running at all. So you're like, nope. I probably could mm-hmm. go out and run, you know, five miles, but you definitely but wouldn't be I able to do that. Every, yeah, you wouldn't be no. able to do that every day. You'd be sore. You know, yeah. you just wouldn't be looking Injuries. forward to it. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. 10 minutes, you're like, I can find 10 minutes. I say this to my athletes too. They're like, all right, well, I want to run marathon at seven minutes per mile, right? Mm-hmm. And And they're not there like today, um, yeah. but they could be there in like four or five months. They continue to work for it. So it's like, hey, exactly. let's accept where you are today. Maybe that's 715 or 720 per mile. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, let's mm-hmm. work on that. Let's do it consistently. And in exactly. a few weeks time, like you might be five seconds per mile faster. And then over the course of a few months, like consistency is the key to anything yes. worth doing. You, you will get where you want to go. But I think it's just so hard for people to accept where they are at any given yeah. time. Yeah, that's a big, big, big part of it. Back to early 2017, like where where were you? Like geographically, like in your in your life, you mentioned how you couldn't get visas to go play soccer overseas. Mm-hmm. I know you live in New Jersey now. Like yeah. where where were you at? Like help paint the picture for me. I was in New Jersey. Um, so the the soccer stuff happened in 2013. Uh, I did um, a, a MLS team sporting Kansas City out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, they had my drafting right. They were supposed to draft me in the supplementary draft. There was super draft and supplementary draft. Mm-hmm. And I could easily been on the super draft, actually, which is like the top, top players. At the time, it was like the top 60. But immigration, like with Visa also, okay, supplementary draft is like the later round. We can pick him up and things like that. So... I was invited to a combine and I got accepted to go into there. And there was a coach from uh, Washington, the Seattle Sounders affiliate team, Kitsap Puma at the time, who ended up being my coach. Because at the combine, there's coaches who coach the player. He likes me a lot. He heard my story. He went to Sporting Kansas City and said, hey, let me have Hella for a year. We sign him in a professional contract. We have a spot for him. I'll get him better. Some of the things that you want him to work on, we're going to get him better for you guys the next season while you guys sort out your whole roster spot, whatever situation. And that was the deal that was made. And I was mm-hmm. happy about that because I knew I needed a little more time to even be better to play with these guys. These guys just won the MLS Cup. Um, so they're they're big timers. Um, and uh, so that was going on. And I went in in preseason with Kansas City. Um, I even had a conversation with one of the coaches. Um, he told me, he said, hey, Hella, the reality is um, we can have someone who's a U.S. citizen that's not even as good as you, but they have potential. We can develop them. We don't have to worry about immigration. But with our immigration situation, especially at the time then with U.S. soccer, we like to sign big international players from Europe, somebody who's at the end of their career, but they can sell tickets. They can sell jerseys. That's what I was, it was told to me. I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. It makes sense. It does because I'm just somebody who's out of college that has a potential. Nothing is guaranteed. Um, that's going to take an international roster spot of eight that you have and that might not be able to play for a little bit. And you can get somebody who can sell tickets in Jersey and who actually has experience, who is a big timer. Um, so but all that was going on, and uh, I got to a point where I, I had, um, uh, I was able to get some of my immigration papers started out, like to 2016, and then I went back in again to regain my professional status. And I went to try that Oklahoma City Energy, which was USL, the Division Two of the MLS, um, and at the time, and I was 200 plus people tried out. I was selected as one of two, 
Um, and I went into prison with the first team and they kept me on the team there. I played with their PDL team. Um, and there are so many things that were happening in that time. So everything was there. And with 2013, actually, too, when I was done, I had the opportunity to go to Germany and I flew to Boston to get my visa. And then the, I was denied. And it was because of you might be an immigration problem after that contract that you have over there. The time you have in Germany is over. You're from a third world country. You might not go back home. You might get stuck here and then you're not a U.S. citizen to come back to the U.S. So That's yeah, the situation. And, yeah. So there was like, we're talking about from 2013 up until like, like 17. That's a lot. That's like four years. That's a lot That's of four time. years of, of, of me going up and down everywhere. Me trying to work and working legally. I get permission from the government. You get a working permit, but it expires every now and then you got to renew it. Otherwise you can't work legally. You cannot. Uh, and there's so many things that you're trying to survive at time. Like I was cutting people's grass. I was doing stuff that I needed to do to survive. Um, things. So, all of that spam into the 2017 was a gap where I, I really struggled. So when I came to 2017, that's when everything really started to be hella take responsibility. You can't control what the government is. This is the rule of the United States and you just have to follow it. Um, this is how it is. And do you want to be here? Follow the rules. You don't want to be here, go home. Go back to Mali, West Africa, which was not an option for me at the time. Because I said, no matter what, I know America is a, is, is a country of opportunity and dreams. So I have to stuck it out. How long had you been in the U.S. at that point? So I was here in the U.S. 1998, um, and we came here because of tragedy. So my father was here doing his PhD in 95. My mother came, and she got accepted at the same school to do her master in 97. So my little brother was four at the time. He came with my, my mom. My sister and I were home. I had an older brother who was in, in my mom's village, my grandmother. He was much older than us. So my sister and I... Where I was six, she was eight, and we were left behind because we were old enough to be kept with my mom's sister. But within six months, half of the school year, my mom's sister passed away. So there's no one to look out for us. So they got us to the U.S. from 98 to 99. I remember Y2K was happening. I was old enough to understand. <laughs> um, 99, we moved back home because they finished their program. And then fast forward to 2002, three, my mom came to do her PhD. And then they saw schooling wasn't a thing for us. Like there's so many strike happening with teachers. We're not getting proper education. So we came here 2003, 2004. So I was a freshman in high school. That's when I had my first full American, like older school experience, finishing eighth grade into freshman year. And um, so since then I've been here. So I did half of my life in Mali and the other half here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, this this felt like home as much to you as Mali did by that. Yeah, because I spent time, fair good amount of fair time in both countries. And now U.S. is getting more time of my life now. It's shifting in more than Mali, even though, because I've been here since since then. And you're a U.S. citizen now, correct? Yes, yes, I am. When did you get your citizenship? Uh, two years ago, right before the, the border shut down. I mean, now that the border, the country shut down with the pandemic. <laughs> Literally. And I was, I'm so happy I went to get sworn in because I, it was an option to pick for a later day like March. And then I was there already in February. They're like, you can stay a couple hours. We're about to sort people in. You can get it done today. I was like, I'm doing it today. <laughs> and then literally two, three weeks later, the, the country, everything, everything shut, shut down. down. Yeah. Everything just shut down. So I missed that. What was that day like for you when you got it was a It was a prideful day. Uh, that day. And I, I look back, I'm like, I should have celebrated more than I even did. Um, but I did. And uh, it, it was one of those days when they're reading you like, the little things and you, you're just like, man, I've come a long way. I spent 20 years chasing this 
this American dream because now, and in your mind, as a kid, I think I'm still a kid at heart. I'm like, I can go to any country and I can come back. I don't have to wait at the visa line because I remember how that is. Every time I go home to renew my visa coming home, I'm there hours. Now I can go through the fast with my passport. Uh, I'm thinking I don't need a, a visa to go to Europe. As long as I'm not there for a certain amount of time, I can just show up with a U.S. passport. With my Mayan passport, you got to ask for a visa every country you go. Otherwise, right. you can't even fly in. So you start learning these, these little privileges that you see Americans have. You're like, I'm going to have even the judge even joke and say, no, nah, you don't have to wait too long at the border at custom because they know as a funny thing. Everybody was laughing. So that the feeling of, of like getting that was just like that 20 some years was so worth it. And I would do it all over again. I remember that having that feeling that it was worth the wait because now it's my time. Now I'm one of the people in the country here now. I've earned it. And now I'm about to live the I was living the American dream in my mind anyway, but I'm about to really, really live the American dream. Now you dream. can, yeah, live it fully yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful story, man. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Do you remember, because this, I mean, was during your current run streak. Do you yeah. remember the run that you went on the day that you were sworn in as a U.S. citizen? You know what? Sadly, I don't remember everything of it. Um, I'm pretty sure I went to run after. It wasn't okay. before. Yeah. And I think I was so high on the whole situation. That whole rest of that day was just numb to me. Just Because I'm blur, just like, yeah. wow, this just happened. And I couldn't wait to, I put it on my social media, like waving the American flag. I remember, um, yeah, it was just like, it was the energy was just focused on that day. And I'm, I'm happy, actually, that was the case. Um, but me being me, whenever I'm full of energy, I run like, like a maniac i literally just like feel like i'm flying whether that's slow to some people but to me it's fast so i just go out there and have a good time dude i've seen you on your youtube channel i mean you yeah. are just you are just flying you're full of energy i mean you're always yeah. happy i watch you run on youtube and i'm not someone who spends like a ton of time on youtube but i uh -huh. follow your channel you. and i'm like i just i, I want to bottle like what he has and drink a little bit of it Every day. <laughs> I mean, I've been running for 25 plus years and I've had some yeah, I'm so, yeah, fairly I'm, long streaks of, no. of my own, but yeah. I'm just not, you know, I love it, but I'm, I'm like not as happy and energetic as you are seemingly every time that you go out and you can it, just see that like bouncing your stride. Like you're just kind of floating better. down the road and um, it's really inspiring. Thank you. I appreciate that. I look back at my stride, like it got better. I came a long way. Um, Sometimes I could even see the way my leg would kick out. I forced myself to be have my body be aerodynamic. If you go back to older running video, and I love it, I said, people record yourself and go study yourself because I look back mm -hmm. at those videos, I'm like, ooh, you can't be doing that. And this is why maybe you struggle. Maybe this is why your hip hurts or you, you start cramping. So I, I fixed myself based on videos. And um, I remember my rifle was the best one. So if you're landing nice, so when I'm landing, when I'm kicking, my rifle will kind of bend out Splays like this out, yeah. and it'll come in. But I've kind of, okay, keep it like that every time. And then I got to that rhythm and then I get this feeling where I don't even have to pay, pay attention to the watch where everything is just moving nicely. I'm breathing well. Um, with over time, that just got better and faster pace over time. Um, everything just got better. And then when you have that feeling, when you feel light and sometimes you're not even moving faster than you think you are, because I would look at my watch, but the feeling of being fast inside is there's nothing like it. So that energy just carries over, whether the pace ends up being faster than I anticipated it to be or even slower than I anticipated to be, but the feeling of feeling like you're flying. So I, I get that every time when I get my body in a certain way and I just keep going with it and have a good time.
I haven't watched many of your earlier videos, but some of the more current yeah. ones, you're just, I mean, you're smooth and efficient and you can tell, I mean, I've just watched enough people run. Like that's yeah. the stride of someone who has worked on it over yeah. the years, but has also just come into his own. And I mean, you can tell you're not even thinking about it. You're just moving just naturally moving. in a way yeah. that feels that feels good to you. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. It really is. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I will give credit to people too, because I pay attention to elite runners. I pay attention to their body function and I pay attention to what I have to do. Sometimes for me to even get my form right, I always tell people who ask me, you don't have to go fast, go slow, get the form right while going slow. Because we think we have to go fast, fast. If you can't keep a form going fast, you're going to break. You're going to start hunching because mm -hmm. you're dying. It's not good. So go very slow till you get that comfortable form. Right. Even when I go in my ultra distance, the pace is definitely slower because you're going longer. I have in the back of my mind, keep the same mechanic. It's slower, but keep the same mechanic. And then you use the same mechanic when you're going faster. It, it makes your energy much more efficient. And I feel that difference. Um, and some of these spaces, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm able to carry this, but it all comes with the body function, moving your body a certain way. And that's because I watch all these elites, uh, LA Kipchoge's and all these people and people that I run with that are better and faster than me. And I look at their body and I said, okay, trying to do the same thing. And you get into your natural. I think we are really born to run because I didn't have to go into like a technique class, but like my body naturally started forming its way. And it's weird now when I kick my leg out, it actually hurts certain way before that was like comfortable but now it's not yeah you've developed that awareness too, yeah. to understand like just what what doesn't feel right exactly you know? exactly let's hit pause right here yeah. i want to mm -hmm. rewind a bit but come back to where we're leaving off what were your first impressions of the u.s when you came here a few months after your parents had had landed for the first time uh yeah. and you began to assimilate to life in a new country? I remember the smell. I remember landing at, at the airport and I was like, this smells so good. And in some time, it's, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I'll walk into a room or a part of an airport or something and I'll just be like, oh my gosh, this is what I smell when I first came to the US. And it's still in the back of my mind. I remember this exact smell that will never leave me. And it just, whenever I smell it somewhere, I don't know if it's a fragrance, what it is, it's like with AC, we came toward like August, like toward the end of the summer. So there's this smell that I will never forget that reminds me of the United States. Sometimes I'll be somewhere else too. I'm gonna be like, oh my gosh, this is the first smell I smell when I landed, when we got off that plane. So that's one of my biggest memory of the US. And I also remember our parents took us to McDonald's on the way home from the airport. My sister and I could not keep that down. We started like, this is nasty. We started throwing up. And then fast forward to a month later, we were down in the panels. <laughs> like it was the only food we ever knew existed. So I remember those little memories when I we first got here. It's funny to hear you describe that for two reasons. One, before you even said the McDonald's bit, I was like, uh -huh. I wonder what you smelled when you first got off the plane. I imagine it was at an airport and their fast food yeah. restaurants. I'm like, I wonder if it was like McDonald's or French fries. That's a very distinct smell. And I know it's not common to Mali where you're from. Yeah. And then the second thing I thought of after you described the McDonald's and, you know, a couple months after you'd been here, like you're having it all the time. Yeah. When I was at the London Olympics in 2012, I was coaching a guy from Costa Rica and uh -huh. we would go to the dining hall every day to eat. And at the dining hall at the Olympic Games, you can get food from all over the world. Uh, That's it's, cool. it's amazing. It's the, it's the most beautiful buffet that uh -huh. you will ever lay eyes on. But the biggest line every day 
was uh-huh. at McDonald's, and McDonald's is an Olympic sponsor. So there was elite a McDonald's, eating yeah, McDonald's. In, the, in the food hall. So elite athletes from other countries around the world that don't have access to a McDonald's, and I've been to McDonald's. I got I to gotta, gotta try it. Yeah, yeah you got to try it. And they're there. They're like, well, hey, I'm here for like two weeks or a week or however long they're staying in the village, and I can't uh-huh. get this back home, and, and it's a treat. And it was just like, for, for me at the time, I was like, wow, this is just like really, really fascinating because here in the mm-hmm. U.S., I mean, there's a McDonald's on every corner. I mean, you could – yeah, you could get it. Yeah, you could get it, you know, all hours of the day, any day of the week. It's not that uh-huh. expensive, but in yeah. other parts of the world, it's like it's a treat like to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Where did you where did you start your life in America geographically? Uh DeKalb, Illinois. Uh okay. one hour west of Chicago. Um so my parents went to Northern Illinois University, NIU. Um literally it's a town of corn. Um and I think the barbed wire was invented in DeKalb. Or school uh, mascot was the barb, um, the, the bird and the barbed wire. Ah, interesting. Um, so that was our mascot. So I went to school there. Um, my parents went to school there. Siblings did. So that's where we were. It was a small town. Now it's not so small. How was life different in the U.S. compared to back home in Mali? It's literally like being on Mars. It was completely different. Um, I remember... Like, oh my gosh, there's no dirt on the ground. I don't see dirt on the ground. Um, I don't remember my drive from the airport to DeKalb, but when you get into town, all I see was sidewalk, streets. And I remember also going back home in 99, end of the year. We're here for a year, um, less than two years. I used to tell my friends, you don't see dirt. You don't get dirty. You can wear shoes. It doesn't get dirty for a long time because the pavements. And I was like, you can put rollerblades on. And sometimes we would, you see people with rollerblades in Mali, they have to go to like a, a, a area, a basketball court that's like not even smooth to, but you can't have it on the street and neighborhood because all we have is dirt. And I remember those being so different. Um, I remember the smell of every morning, the breakfast we had. Uh, remember watching Power Ranger and it was, it's one of those going to the pool every day in the summer in the apartment complex we lived in, there's a pool there. So those are the things that, I remember as a seven-year-old, um, six, seven-year-old turning eight very well. And sometime I think about it, I remember those feelings when the first snow came down and we were just in our snow, full snow suits, never having seen snow in my life until then. So those are some of the things that were just like, wow, it's a different world. And, I, and it makes you think that this part of the world really exists because from at that age, all we knew was where we lived. We thought that was the only, only world that's, that exists. Yeah, I think that's an important takeaway for a lot of people, no matter where you've grown up. I mean, if you've grown up here in the U.S. and this is all Mm -hmm. you know and you haven't been able to go abroad, no one knows that there are people who grew up the way that you did, you know, in in Mali and and vice versa. And I think, you know, you sharing your story here and I want to get into it a little bit more and just Mm -hmm. more people exposing themselves to other people, cultures, ways of life is is really important because I think it helps you to – one appreciate where you're from, wherever that exactly. is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then also to understand that you know people live differently in other areas of of Correct. the world, and it might not be for you, but that's okay, and mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Yeah, I actually get excited when I have friends or people I meet that tell me, "Oh, I've I've traveled this part of the world, whether it's Europe, Africa." I get so excited because I know that they understand that America is not the only world. Because I've been around people; it's not their fault where they're. Right. Just mentality just stuck on here. And it feels like this is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that exists where there's other 
things that's happening across the world. So when I meet these people, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome because I know you're going to get it. Oh, you get it because I've been in both sides and it's really cool. And then you see that you have, they have the same perspective of you in life, whether it's not exactly the same, but a similar perspectives. And it makes you feel like, okay, this is really cool. And I want more people to, to have this, this, um, chance opportunity to visit other places in the world if they're able to because it changes your your mindset it changes your mental models it changes how you look at life it changes that you're not the only one it makes you feel like the, the word is like you don't feel stuck up because sometimes yeah. even for me i feel like i think about all oh, me 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 no there's more that's out there there's other things that are happening so it's not only about you so it makes you feel that way and i think that's yeah, important it's a, good, it's a good dose of humility yeah exactly one thing I'm I'm really interested in is what it was like for you when you came here and started playing soccer with other kids. Because you grew up playing soccer in yeah. Mali. You played dirt. collegiately here in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, yeah, dirt over there. And then you come here and there's nice fields and there's like a club system. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but things are a bit more organized in terms of like leagues and teams and, yes. and all of that. But what was that like for you when you – first landed here in the u.s so, so in mali we have a we you're the town the little neighborhood you live in we call it uh cartier i don't even know how to translate in english it's french um mm -hmm. or sections of of a town or of the of the city um we have like the local like someone elderly will put a club together and kids will come and play and they have the grown-up club the younger so we always have that but it's nowhere near how it is over here especially in terms of like you get all these jerseys, you get all these like new things. Um, but coming to the US, I remember, I was like, this is what you guys play on? Cause I see it on TV. I'm like, I can sleep on this. This is bed, <laughs> talking about the grass. Cause yeah. we just play on Adobe, like dirt, hard packed gravel. Dirt, yeah. yeah, and um, I remember like in Mali, someone will pass you the ball. It'll be the best pass you've ever seen. But right before it hit your foot, it'll hit a little pebble. The ball will take this weird bounce and you gotta control the ball somehow, some way. and you find a way to get it down. And then here, they pass you the ball. It's perfectly to your feet. So I think that was my advantage. Um, so I looked like I had better skills than the kids because I was playing on a rougher ground. Now you give me the perfect surface. I look like I was I was made for this game. And I had, took advantage of that. Um, so it was just like completely different. And I would even joke with my teammates. I'm like, you guys can leave. I'm going to take a nap. This grass is so soft kind of thing because we didn't, we didn't have it like that. So... Soccer was completely different, and I took advantage of that. So the only thing I was at a disadvantage was my physical capability, um, especially even freshman year of high school. I was 4'11", shortest on the team. Um, so I knew that I had to depend on my skill versus physical strength a lot. And uh, But I knew my height. I couldn't do anything about that. I knew I can get stronger, so I'd do push-ups, core work every morning at, at, at home, and I started getting stronger that way. But in terms of the game itself, it was the easiest thing I had dealt with since I left Mali. And then I would even almost say, uh, I used to say, I don't think people know how to play soccer in America. I would say that to my friends because it was easy. Because my friends, some of the things I'd get away here in America, uh, there's no chance I'd get away with my friends back home. They would tackle me. They would get the ball from me. It'd be a struggle. Over here, I'm easily dribbling through people and kids. But as you get older, you realize it's because of the lifestyle too. So the dedication yeah. we had in Mali, every day after school, we're playing soccer. All year round, whether it's raining, there's no snow. So we're going every day over here. Just seasonal. They get two, three months out of the whole year. So I realized, oh, it's because of the lifestyle. It's not because just because we're Mali and we're better. It's because we do it every day. And over here, it's, it's a certain amount. And the passion is different. There's so many sports. I never heard of baseball. It's like I hear. I'm like, oh, they do this. Like hitting a wooden 
a ball with something. And I would explain <laughs> that to my friends when we went back home 99, early 2000. So I saw that is about the lifestyle that gave me the advantage uh, over here when I got here. That's super interesting. And I don't want to go on too much of a diversion. And I, mean, yeah. I know this is a completely different part of Africa, but I think of this in terms of running and why in distance running, a lot of Kenyans and Ethiopians or why Kenyans and Ethiopians in general are so lifestyle. dominant and it's, and it's yeah. lifestyle. I mean, uh -huh. throughout Kenya, especially in the Rift Valley where a lot of the great runners come from in the highlands of mm -hmm. Ethiopia, there is no basketball. There is no baseball. I mean, there is There's soccer because no, yeah. that is, you know, the world's, yeah. the world's game. Yeah. Um, but distance running over there is like what football is here mm -hmm. and they just grow up with it and they grow up with the athletes and their fans yeah. of the sport. It's a way out of the country as yeah. well for some people. And, yes. and and I just don't know how else to like describe that to, to people when mm -hmm. they talk about, oh well why why are these like two nations so dominant when we have mm -hmm. all these resources over here? And I'm like it's it's lifestyle. I'm like That's a lot exactly of kids it. here don't don't start running until they get cut from another team more often than yeah, not and go, uh, yeah, in junior I'll high or high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're not starting at, at this young age and living that lifestyle from the time they can stand on two feet. I yeah. just think that's interesting how, how you experience the same thing with soccer. Yeah. I'm going to add that too. So before we get away from that, but I saw something that was going around on Instagram. I don't know if it went viral, but I saw it because I was clicking on anything running. So all the running stuff algorithm will shoot it to me. And I love that. Um, I saw that this was either in Kenya or Ethiopia, but I'm pretty sure it's Kenya. These guys, elite runners, like Nike athlete, Kenyans, um, and some people are probably from overseas, I don't know, America, Canada, or Europe, running with them as well. And you see these kids in their coats and their rain boots just sprinting along these guys. And one of the guys in the front was like telling the kid, get up with me. Like, like what I even saw, like, like he was like encouraging the kid. And the kid is like running normally with the same cadence, same pace with these elites. And I, I just couldn't stop smiling. I'm like, this is beautiful because yeah, now these, these, uh, these adults are inspiring these kids. You can be like me and they want to be like that. And then they're running next to them and they feel like they're a part of them at that moment in time. And they're going to school too. You can tell they're, they're on their way to school. So, and then sometimes they got to run to get to school. If they walk, it's going to take forever. Sometimes they got to run to get water because if they walk, it's going to be sunset. It's going to be too dark. So it's the lifestyle, and that makes a huge difference. And yes, elevation helps and everything. Eli Kipchoge said, for us, um, running is a way of life. It's not a hobby. Most places in the world, it's a hobby. Um, for us, this is just a way of life. So it makes it look like that. It's easy for us, even though it's not. It's just that we don't just pick it up as a hobby. Where other places in the world, you have other options. You pick running up as a hobby. This is part of their life. Yeah, I think that's on the money. Yeah. When you came here and started playing soccer, you mentioned how, I mean, that was just easy for mm -hmm. you when you're playing with other kids, but did you develop a social circle because of soccer? Is that where a lot of your initial friends came from? Because it was kind of a common language that you spoke, so to speak. Yeah, immediately. And um, it, it brought some kind of attention to me at my high school. Um, people will just talk about Hella, um, announcements when you score goals and things like that. So the school is aware of you. You're on the on the school paper, um, top athletes and all these things. Anything you do the next day when there's announcement, it's going to be like the soccer team and your name is getting said a lot. So you even get more friendship than you. And I saw that with America as we're doing. And I realized being on varsity was a big deal. And to me, I was just like, I'm just playing with people who are 
uh, 12th, uh, 11th grade, and I'm younger than them. That's all I saw it as. But I, later on, I realized it was a status thing. Oh, he's an underclassman. He's on varsity. He got pulled up to varsity when he was a freshman or a sophomore. He gets games in with varsity. And you develop this circle just based on that. And um, and it's cool to be friends with people who are in the same mindset of you, that love the game, that play the video games, that watch games, and you're always talking about it. So that made it easy for me to have friendship. But also, um, being from somewhere, um, some part, other part of the country, I was able to be friends with other people as well because um, I kind of... I kind of was able to diversify myself um, because I have commons, I have something in common with somebody that's from somewhere else that's also living in the U.S. or that was born in the U.S. but their family's from somewhere else. So I developed friendship with the soccer side and also without the soccer side who were not even all together. So I'd have these group of friends that are athletes and a group mm-hmm. of friends that are just regular students, no athletic background or playing any sports. What was the biggest challenge in transitioning here to the u.s for me language was really tough in terms of um french is one of the languages i speak so when we were getting taught how to speak english well it was uh, english as a second language or tpi um and i kind of used to confuse the languages a lot and we had a french uh, a teacher who would speak french and english so when we went back home after the first time we were here in the u.s uh 98 to 99 I was the one struggling with school because I'd mix everything together. We're talking about three languages now at this point. And my mom had their, her own language as well, which I understood the dialogue and my mom, my dad's side. So that was tough. So coming back again, um, knowing a little bit of English, I still struggle more than anybody else trying to understand. I would confuse the way math is done because what I remember how we do a division in French, they show it to me in English and it's both running in the back of my mind and I'm trying to figure out which way to go about because some ways are similar, but it's not the same way at all. So that was really tough for me. As you progressed in school, how were you thinking about your future? Did you know that you wanted to go to college? Did you know that you wanted to keep playing soccer? Did you have other ambitions? Help me to understand how you were thinking about things when you were toward the end of say your high school career. So in high toward then when I saw my ability, that I actually am good enough at, at a high level and having school interested in me, uh, Northern Illinois University Division One, a bunch of Division Twos, Threes, junior colleges, all that interested in me. I was like, hmm, this is something I could do. But prior to that, even as a 16-year-old sophomore, I was thinking I'm going to be in the MLS. I'm like, it's going to be easy for me getting the MLS. Um, I see like Freddie Adu getting drafted, like this young kid, he's 14 and he was around my age. Um, I saw that Young kids can be in the pros. So I started playing with academies. Um, Chicago Fire Junior, I played with Chicago Magic. We were number one um, club team in the country at that point. I got national team attention. I was going to play with the U.S. national team until they found out I wasn't a citizen. So that was canceled real quick. Um, so I I told myself, you know what? By 25, I want to be playing with my dream team, Chelsea FC, in Europe. That was, I really, if anyone told you, it told me that I couldn't do it. I would laugh at them because that's how much I believed in it. Um, and I wasn't even embarrassed to share that goal with anybody because I just thought I, I couldn't make it happen. I just had to work hard. And then when scholarship college started coming, I was like, oh, I can go to school for free now. And I saw a, a fellow Malian Bakari Sumari who uh, lives in New York, between New York and Chicago. I saw he was drafted from University of Virginia and it says he's born and raised in Mali. And now Mali national team is calling him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to talk to him. Um, 
And he said, I heard of you because he was with the Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire drafted him. I was playing with the Chicago Fire Junior. He said, I heard of your name, that there was a Malian as well. And then Kai Kamara, who's currently um, playing. Um, I'm not sure if he has a team right now, but I talked to him on, on, on Facebook when Facebook was new when I got to college. And one of the messages that he left with me um, was, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Bakar Smart said that too. So I was like, okay, hello, just do what you got to do and the right team will find you. Um, and just focus on what you can do. So that was the the goal around that time, the soccer. And I knew that I had a way to go to school for free and play professionally or worst case scenario, which is best case scenario, go to school for free. How did you decide on UMass Amherst? So one of my friends that I met through soccer, it's a long story, and that transferred to DeKalb because his uncle was living there. He's from Nepal. Um, Michelle Bandari. So I became friends with him right away. I was one of the person, people who accepted him, even though some people on our team were mean to him and he was on the team. So I was like, hey, I know how it is to be the new kid. So um, he was going to visit Boston College um, and he asked me, do you want to fly with me to Massachusetts? And I said, I don't want to go. And then until he offered to pay for my ticket, I was like, I'm going. <laughs> I couldn't afford the ticket. So I told my right. mom, she was like, yeah, sure, go. Um, so we went to Mass, and I met his Massachusetts family. There's a whole side of that story. but And I was like, okay, I want to go to Boston College. And they're like, we've heard of you kind of because you have all these Illinois rankings. And I played in the All-State All-American game, honorable-mentioned games. And uh, I had Wisconsin-Madison come in and say right away, hey, we like you. Get your ACT score up. We want to see if there's something there. So when I went there, um, visited, and in the, I remember the, the, the BC coach was like, Hey, we got this Ghanaian in midfield. I played midfield in high school. So you're going to have to sit as a freshman. You have to work hard because he's like our top player. You're probably not going to play. I was like, okay, I don't think this coach likes me. But the assistant coach, Kevin Anderson, was obsessed with me, who used to play with, with the Colorado Rapid. So I took the recruiting part CS with him. He wanted me to come to BC. And then he gets a head coaching job at Columbia University. And he goes, look, Hella, I want you, but your grades are not going get to get you into Columbia. So, so I can't take you with me as much as I would love to take you with me. Um, and he was right. So we went to visit UMass and I was like, I want to go to school in Massachusetts. And I get to UMass. And I'm like, what? This is the school. It was admission. It was one mile away from campus. And then asked the admission. I was like, is this your campus? They're like, no, no, campus one mile away this way. So as soon as I saw the skyscrapers, I'm like, oh my God, I have to go to this school. This is the school I want to go to. And seeing that, uh, I went to talk to the coaches and they've heard of me too. So I'm like, hmm, I have a little bit of leverage. But now they say, we want to see you play against our players. We have a summer clinic camp. There's going to be our players. There's going to be potential Division One players, transfers coming in. It's an overnight camp for three days. Come in, $400. I didn't have it. So my friend's uncle, um, who was, became guardian to me and him, gave me a $400 check, brought it. And within after the camp, the coaches were like, we're interested in you. They brought me my check to me. If we want to recruit you, you don't pay for the camp. And I was like, I'm going to UMass. But the time that I apply... It was so late. It was like end of July. School starts early September. Mm -hmm. Applications were done. Everything. They said, hello, you have 5% chance to get into this school. Not because of your grade so much, but the time that you apply. And grade would definitely help, but it was more because of that. And I thought I couldn't get in. I flew home uh, within landing. They called me, hey, you got accepted. They made me apply and everything. And I will say, sacrifice has something to do with that. But the admission office also had to accept me. So something worked out and uh, that's how UMass happened. Did you go on scholarship? Yep. Yep. I did. So my first season was, um, we got to make scholarship for you. And I had to sit out because when you're trying to come into another school. Right. But, and then 
scholarship came in, and I kept my mouth quiet too because there's players on the team that don't have scholarship. There's upperclassmen that don't. So I didn't want to be the guy, I'm on scholarship, I'm on scholarship. People assume what they did. Um, I actually was able to um, thank God for my guardian help too, who helped me in the beginning with my books and things like that. And some of the tuition I had to pay before the scholarship kicked in, he took responsibility for that. Um, but yeah, I went on, on to UMass on scholarship and I thank God because of that, I have no student loan and I'm so grateful for that because I said, if anything, the soccer did for me is paying for me to go to school for free. So, um, and I didn't want to tell people while I was at UMass, they knew probably that I had partial scholarship or something. I didn't want to tell them that my whole school is getting paid for because I didn't want, because I knew UMass didn't have full scholarship for everybody and I didn't want anyone to feel bad. I also, I didn't want any upper class and be like, how come Hella has a scholarship and I don't? So just to avoid, I just kept my mouth quiet and it worked out well. Yeah. What was your time like in Amherst? Did you enjoy your collegiate years, not just in terms of playing soccer for the team, but your entire experience at UMass? Because I grew up in Massachusetts. I'm from oh, you did. Worcester originally. Oh, Worcester. Oh, that's awesome. A lot of time in the Western part of the state in Amherst. I mean, Amherst is its own place but i mean umass takes up a lot of it i mean it could be a city you know unto itself and i mean i went yeah. to a very small school so for me like umass just always felt like it this, was... this completely different world it was like overwhelming to be to be yeah. honest but i'd they... love to i'd love to learn more about your time there it was the best decision i ever made for school and i'm like thank god i went to umass i love everything about umass i've made friends i met my fiance there um memories i still we still like reminisce about the times at umass um not only we're the number one college town in america and i think we still are because of the five colleges as well amherst mm -hmm. uh, but number one dining comment when i was there and then we went off and we're still the number one dining comment even recently last fall i was there that was the big pride so you could eat and i love food there's food everywhere we had late night where the dining comments don't close till midnight during finals they're open till two in the morning for everybody to eat um, the campus felt like a village, like, like we were just in a village, a city, so tight, yeah. so big, but tight. Like you feel like you belong. This is my city. This is for me. Cause I'm a student. Like if you see college student who wear their own college on their chest on campus, that's pride. So on campus, all you see is UMass Amherst, UMass athletic student athlete. So the whole, whether people are not athlete or not, they're wearing UMass on their chest. It's really cool. You feel special. You feel like you're all in it together. And I had great time. The parties were really fun. I went to parties, hanging out with friends, teammates, meeting people on campus, coaches. The student um, body was just amazing. And the teachers were incredible. And so many classes are like recommended by people. You're trying to rush to select so you're in. It was just like, it was the best. It was a utopia. It was a dream. And I remember everybody, uh, my guardian telling me, enjoy, it's going to go fast. That, that time went so fast. So I tell everybody about that. Enjoy it. And I remember the seniors when I was a freshman there leaving. And I'm like, I feel bad for you. And then I remember one of the seniors said, hell, hell, don't worry. You're going to get there too. And then when I was a senior, I was like, oh, man, you're right. Now I'm there. But UMass was just the best. I didn't even like going home or anything during Christmas break or anything. I was itching. And not just me. Many people. The winter break is too long. We want to be on campus. Like you didn't want to leave the campus. That's how special it was. What did you study at UMass? I studied public uh, sociology as a major, and I picked up on public health as a minor, but I didn't declare it on time. So technically, it wasn't a minor, but I had enough credit and everything to to be a public health minor. But I just missed the declaration declaring 
day before I graduated. So it couldn't be on my diploma, just a sociology. I know that you were looking to continue your soccer career upon graduating, but studying sociology and public health. Did you have any potential career thoughts in either one of those fields that you wanted to pursue? I, I just wanted to be eligible. <laughs> and I thought, public, I thought sociology was the easiest way to do that. And this is the truth. And then the public health, I did it because my dad, it wasn't, mm -hmm. my dad wanted me to be a doctor. So for me to get off my back a little bit, I did public health. I said, hey, dad, I'm in health classes. This is the start. You're going to have to go to medical school anyway. So I'm doing something. And I ended up actually loving my public health, like one-on-one -on -one classes, the lower end. I learned so much about the body and functions and things like that, which was some of my favorite classes. But um, it wasn't because I wanted a career in sociology. I always want to help people, sociology or not. I know that's the way to do it, um, social worker and things like that. But I never saw myself, that was why. If that was the case, if I would have picked something to stick with, to do, now looking back at it, maybe an engineer, something with technology, because I'm very fascinated with innovation, technology. But um, yeah, it was... The honest truth is, I went in as English major. I couldn't keep up with the paper writing. I said, sociology is easy. I got some classes already. And uh, you can say eligible. You can have a good grade. I almost made the dean's list. Just missed it because I left a semester early because I had enough credit to go play soccer in Seattle. Um, but yeah, it wasn't because of I wanted to be something in it. It was to, to stay eligible. And it was easy. Oh. Hey, I, I can appreciate that. I ended up majoring yeah. in philosophy and minoring in psychology because those uh -huh. were the classes that I liked. And yeah. by the time it came time to choose a major, I was like far enough along and that yeah, path that exactly. it was just easier to go that See. route than to to switch gears. And I mean, my, my dad still jokes with me to this day because I ran collegiately and he said, you majored in cross country and you minored in track. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you're not, you're yeah. not, uh, you're not exactly wrong about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I know for me, like I was not as good of a runner as you were a soccer player, but I knew that when I graduated college, I wanted to do something in running. And the mm -hmm. first Avenue I tried to pursue was to be a professional runner. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as, as you know, at this point, like that's a hard way to make a living, uh, especially so if you're not, yeah. you know, cream of the crop, which, which I wasn't, I was good, but I was not like that good to, to be a professional runner. And now I've carved this path, like where I'm hosting this podcast, I have a mm -hmm. newsletter, I coach runners and I've, I've sort of found my way yeah. over the last 17 years or so since I've, I've graduated. It sounds like you were in a similar place too. You're like, I'm going to pursue, you know, this, this soccer thing, uh, yeah. as, as long as I can, I and can, then I'll yeah. figure it out from there. Exactly. Exactly. And the time the soccer was the dream, it really was. And people bring it up to me. Hella, you said you can do anything you put your mind to. Why did you give up on soccer? I did not give up on soccer. And I 100% believe that I, I had teams were after me at the time. It's not like I couldn't do it. I didn't have the potential. I did at least the potential part. But um, it got to a point where soccer wasn't it anymore. I still love the game. I watch it. I still coach. Um, and in fact, I came from a session before this podcast. Um, I do speed agility. I do soccer. So the thing is, it's not the same thing for me again. I feel like I'm. I've, it's, it's done a lot for me. I, I went to school for free. I got to play professionally, which is pride for me, prideful for me. But I don't have the same drive for it. If I want something, I got to be all in 100%. That means you eat, you breathe, you sleep it. And that's the mindset. So the fact that I can't give that same mindset, I'm not going to pursue it because I don't feel like I should have to do it. So that's the reason I think that 
I won't pursue that part of it when I answer that question to people when you said, how come you give up on, on the soccer part? I haven't. It did what it did, and it was perfect at the time that it did. Now I found something else that's new that I'm literally all about. Like I think about every day. And that's running. Yeah, running. And I want to get better. And I know being better doesn't mean to go every single day, but it also doesn't mean that you can't go every single day and be better. You just have to make sure that you, you're smart about it and changing things up a little bit and um, just do the best that you can do it. And that's what I'm trying. And the fact is making me happy, even if performance doesn't increase, as long as I'm happy, that's what's important to me. I want to dive deeper into the running here in a minute. But before we get there, last thing I want to do with you is just kind of compare notes. You mentioned yeah. earlier in this conversation that when you were pursuing professional soccer i mean you yeah. had to work a lot of other jobs you were cutting grass and doing what you needed to do yeah. to get by when i was pursuing professional running and i'm putting that in air quotes because yeah. i never got a sponsorship or anything like that i worked a ton of odd jobs part-time mm -hmm. jobs random shifts at, at different things to just keep that running dream alive and pursue yeah. that with as much energy as I could, but what jobs did you work when you were pursuing professional soccer? And, and after you tell me yours, I'll, I'll go through my own list as well. Yeah, I was limited um, because the government tells me when I can work, when I can't work. That's um, true. You have to mm -hmm. apply for a working permit. So when I couldn't get a working permit, I was cutting grass. Um, and uh, I was just getting cash one of those payments. things. Yeah. And, and also, like, it's one of those things, just because you get cash payment, you have to declare it. So I would, mm -hmm. when I did my taxes, I would declare what I, I was making. Um, I was here legally, so so nothing was wrong. Um, someone, a neighbor would be like, hey, cut my grass, so I'll throw something at you. I'm, I, I'm at it. Um, and then when I got my working permit, I love cars, so I, I've never had any car experience. I walked into a Nissan dealership in New Jersey. I said, hey. I, I don't know anything about cars, but I love cars. I live dream cars. I want to be a salesperson um, if I can learn. Nissan kicked me, gave me the boot. So there's Audi right down the road. I went into Audi. I did the same thing. And the manager was there at the time. He said, hey, I just like your personality. I know you have no experience. I'm hiring you. We're going to teach you because you have the passion for it. And they hired me as a brand specialist where I can sell cars and teach the technology of the cars to people, Audi. So I, I worked there. Um, I was making a little bit of money there and it was, it was like, what, what was it, like, maybe like $4 an hour because it's commission based. So it's based on the sales of the car. Right. So you're not getting paid much standing on a showroom floor if you're not selling cars. Um, so I did decent for myself there. I would averaging like about seven cars a month, especially as a new person. That was incredible. Cause I would just, I would not force sell. I would just say, Hey, get it because you love it. Don't get it because we want you to buy it. If my manager probably heard that, they probably would have fired me. Because sometimes I would even basically tell the the clients, hey, don't don't have to buy this right now. Take your time. Go look somewhere else. Go look at other dealers. And because I want them to feel comfortable. I didn't want to feel like I'm rushing them or cheating them because that's how I, I would have been want to be treated. But in the car business, I saw some of the things that are happening. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm going to do it the way that I think is right. Hopefully, I don't get fired. No one said anything. And so... But you I sold also, cars by not trying to sell cars. Yeah. Yes. And then I I, I did I went to play in Oklahoma. Um, didn't have anything really much, and I would depend on other people. Um, my fiance helped a lot. I depend on just trying to even find my car payment that I was driving at the time. Um, I work at a, a what is it called a limousine service, Airbrook. 
um, just data entry, day, putting data in of, of like the, the reservation and things like that. That I did those. Um, I furniture delivery, you name it. Uh, I went through all of it. And before that, when I was able to work a little bit in high school, um, I work as a delivery boy. I actually work as a delivery boy during the summer, uh, sometime in my when I was in college, just to make a little bit of money here and there. Yeah, I I love hearing those stories. In my case, I graduated college two thousand four, and I was moving out to Eugene, Oregon, in mm-hmm. August of that year to join a post-collegiate training group. I wasn't getting paid by them, but they were better runners Mm -hmm. and some of them were semi-professional. And I had Mm -hmm. a few months till I had to move there. My first job out of school was working at McDonald's behind Mm -hmm. the counter because my Mm -hmm. aunt was the manager there. She gave me a job for the summer making whatever the minimum wage was. Mm -hmm. Then I get out to Eugene, Oregon, and I'm running, you know, 100 plus miles a week trying Mm -hmm. to make it as as a runner couldn't find a job like at Starbucks or doing any type of service work. I ultimately ended up working as a temp worker for Mm -hmm. a cleaning company. And I was cleaning out like apartments near the university, just trying to keep this dream alive. And long story short, that wasn't sustainable. And I moved back home to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And then I started working at a newspaper, which in, in retrospect, I can connect the dots and it sort of led me to where I am now, but I started working at a local newspaper, just answering the phones and taking box scores from coaches. And then Mm -hmm. the other part of my job was like telemarketing and like trying to get people to subscribe to the newspaper, renew their subscriptions. And it's just sort of like, you know, snowballed from there, but it's just interesting for me to hear from other people who were pursuing this this dream that there wasn't a direct line to it. There's not. Right? Yeah, so you no. had to do all of this other stuff yeah. kind of in the background to support yourself and make mm-hmm. it work. I find yeah, that exactly. super inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome that you did that to to go after what you want. And at least you know you were trying, you're doing what you can instead of just saying, you know what, first adversity and quitting. You were always trying. That, I think that's the important part, as long as you try. So in 2017, you make this commitment to yourself to run 10 minutes a day for two weeks. Yeah. And you did that and it's just snowballed from there. When did your perspective on running start to shift for you? When you no longer thought of it as punishment? First week. But really? First week. Mm -hmm. And within the first week, I knew the two weeks wasn't going to be it. And I remember your relationship going, changed to it right away immediately. And I'll tell you why. Um, but it's because no one was making me do it. It was the best feeling ever. Not getting yelled at, getting on the line. There's no, I wanted to do it. And the great part of it, this is May. Think about it. We went through a brutal winter. Spring is in the air. You know, you can smell the, the trees, the pollen, mm-hmm. the, the grass is green, the wet is warmer. So I'm out there. I'm actually enjoying it. It's crazy when they say the sun gives you energy. I think I was feeding off of that. So I couldn't even wait to get out there for my 10-minute run. Um, within a week, I was going over 10 minutes, even though it was two weeks goal. And I remember before even that two weeks ended, I ran to Belle, um, my fiance. I said, hey, Belle, I think I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let's go every day for a year. Didn't know anyone did run shrieking. So ignorant to it. I just thought this was a me thing. It was a personal goal. Didn't share it with anybody. It was with her. Maybe a friend, maybe a family member or two. Not even everybody in the family knew. My parents did, didn't know about it. Um, so I right away fell in love with it because that pressure free, there was no pressure. It was all joy. 
from that point. So that's why I tell everybody, do it pressure-free. You're not doing it for anyone. Do it something attainable. And you're going to fall in love with it. And then, yeah, there's going to be tough days, but you're going to remember that feeling. You're going to chase that feeling. You're going to enjoy when you get that feeling back, even if you miss it here and there. Um, so mine was literally immediate. And I'm grateful for that because that's not going to be the case for everybody. And and I also that also go with, with uh, the amount, the something attainable, the volume. Maybe if I were to do 10 miles every day for two weeks in the first two, three days, I might have been like, I don't think I like this. But it was immediate. And I'm grateful for that, that mine was literally immediately. Yeah. I mean, as we talked about earlier, you gave it a chance to mm -hmm. grow. And yeah. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's grown into something that you probably could not have really imagined at the time. I, exactly. Exactly. It was just about that time and moment, what I can focus on. And I said to myself too, I remember it. I said, no matter the circumstances, Hella, get outside. There's no, you can run on the treadmill. It won't count for your daily run as long as there's some miles outside on the pavement. So I said, no matter the circumstance. So all the run streak, I've never counted a day for the treadmill. It would be extra miles. Yeah, you, I count the miles, but it doesn't count until you doesn't get out count. there. Yeah, whether you want to do that before or after. So the point of that is also, I, I wanted to not make excuses. That also was holding myself accountable, keeping a promise I made to myself. So those were very important. Um, proving it to myself, you know what? I can do what I set out to do. And I, even till this day, I always say, no matter the circumstances, I preach it every day. And no matter the circumstances, it can be different for everybody. But no matter the circumstances for me, it doesn't matter. Sunshine, raining, snowstorm. Today's run was in fr freezing rain. My mouth was frozen. I couldn't even talk on my post Instagram story. Um, but the thing is about the no matter the circumstances, um, it doesn't mean to go and kill yourself every day. You can volume control. It doesn't mean it doesn't have to be running, but it could be. And if it's running for you, um, no matter the circumstances, could be, you know what? I am hurting today. I don't want to go every day, but let me go foam roll. That's no matter the circumstances because you're not letting that ache just make you just sit there and not do anything. The fact that you're foam rolling is still preparing your body to go out there another day. So that's another way of looking at no matter the circumstances because you're doing something about it. You're not just letting it defeat you. No matter the circumstances could also mean, you know what? I don't have 10 in me, but I have 10 minutes in me. You know, I don't. My I, I messed up my ankle. I can't go out there. I'm going to put ice on it because now I'm going to rep like make the recovery process a little quicker. That's no matter the circumstance. Instead of sitting there and just hanging it up and the recovery process is much longer. So my mindset with that is there's a will, there's a way. The way may not be the way that you want, but there's always a way to make it happen. So that was very important to me in the beginning until this day. It sounds like you just decided from the get-go to be very intentional about it. Whether you did 10 yeah. minutes or 10 miles, mm -hmm. that you were going to be intentional about the running that you did mm -hmm. that day. Yeah, and and I'm outside. And it was so good in the beginning to be outside anyway because it was just warm. Spring was right there. So it was a good start. Maybe if I started in the winter, things might have changed. But I finished start in the, in the spring, which was so awesome. Well, you would have had one more deterrent in the wintertime and it would have made it just a little bit more challenging to get yeah. out the door. But starting yeah. in the spring, you build that momentum, you carry it through summer and fall. When winter hits, like we talked about earlier, then you, you're like, I don't want to stop this streak now. I've just put too much into it at, yeah. at this point. And, and I mean, back to what we were talking about earlier, too, in terms of your upbringing with soccer and, you know, a lot of the Kenyans and Ethiopians with running, it became a lifestyle. For yeah, you. it became a lifestyle. It became a lifestyle. And it is. It became a, just a daily routine. What else were you doing at the time, professionally or otherwise, aside from committing to running every day? I was working. So I, I, I like 
that question um, from anybody. And thank you for asking that because I think it's important to shine light on. When I started my run streak, I was still working nine to five because some people would say, if I had all this time to hell out, run every day or I'll do something I want. So I said, I was working nine to five and I was training people on the side on top of that. So I would tell myself, Hella, do you want to go before you go into the office as a, a, a reservation person at a limousine service? Do you want to run before you go in? Or do you want to run later at night? It's up to you. Sometimes my shift would be like from 10 to 8 p.m. Sometimes it would be like early in the morning. So I decide when I go to run based on the work hours. But I would be there sometime from nine, like more than a, a typical nine to five time. I would go overtime sitting there. But there's been many times where my run was at 9, 10 p.m. at night because I didn't go early and I paid for it. Whether I was exhausted sitting all day on a computer typing data in people's stuff entry in, and that could be the case. But I would accept that because I decided not to go in the morning. Or if I think about it, I don't want to go late tonight, I get up early in the morning and I go. So I said that to people when people say I don't have time. I think time is how you, you value it and how you prioritize it. My priority was always to get the run in, whether that was late at night or early in the morning. And yeah, it's not fun to get up early in the morning sometimes, but if it's important enough for you, you'll put time to it. And I always say, sometimes we go to the movies, right? It's not every day. Sometimes we go to the bar or things like that because you put time to do that. It's similar. So put time to something else that you want to do. When I I remember when I would fly, the fly is, flight is six in the morning. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm always like have this fear where I'm going to get stuck in the airport and I can't run in the airport because they're going to think I'm crazy and I will get arrested. Um, I would never go on a trip when I know I don't have enough time when I land. I would run two in the morning before I hop on a 6 a.m. flight. I'd get up as early, two, three in the morning. I'm out there in my neighborhood. I stay in the neighborhood. I don't go on the main roads. Because I said, at least the neighbors know Hella is always running. They know my face. Whether someone says, some look out their window. Most people are sleeping anywhere at two, three in the morning. So I get it done. So at that time when I started, I was still working nine to five. And it wasn't just for like a little bit for a very long time for that whole year. Um, going into even 2018, I was still working and I was still running. As you started to build momentum and the streak started to develop and you're running more miles, did you start to take more of an interest in running in the sport, in the training for it as you got further down the road yourself? No, it was all about being happy because I didn't want to go into that dark space that I was in. And running made me happy. It made me feel invincible at that time and moment I'm running. It made me feel like I can do anything I put my mind to. It makes you feel like you're, you're a warrior, even the days where your legs are heavy when you finish that run. Um, so it wasn't about any of that. And then I did some races. I did marathon. I, I, I ran a marathon. I ran a half marathon. I've done those distances by myself, but I've done the race too. I've done 5Ks, a mile run. And some of those races, I didn't do it because that's what I want. Like I didn't do it just to brag about my time. I did it because my audience are like, hello, what's your marathon? I'll go do a marathon so you guys can see because it's running anyway. I love it. But some of those races I did because I did it for something that's bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. My first ever race with no training, I went to run a mile. I went all out, 524. And it was dedicated to suicide awareness. That's why I did it. I didn't care about my own time. I was like, let me go put myself in pain because someone is struggling mentally right now and they want to take their life away. Let me go run and put myself in pain and let's see if we can bring awareness to this. And then another, my half marathon race um, was about a family, a mother and daughter terminally ill. So I have a family friend of ours mentioned to me, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to dedicate this race to that. Let's raise some money and go find me to help them. So I want to run. So when I was dying, I think about them because I knew my purpose as much. The pain that I'm going through 
is nothing compared to my purpose of the race. So when I did the New York City Marathon, I had my whole mindset about something else. So it's about bringing awareness because I saw running as a privilege that not everyone has. And I want to use that privilege of mine to doing something good. So it wasn't about getting training hard, serious. And I have little goals in running. I want to have to see how fast I can run a 5K, how fast I can do this. I can just to it's all to challenge myself. But also it's not the main priority. The main priority is is do it because I love it, but also do it for something bigger than myself. And that's still going to be the same thing till this day. I'll do race. I'm going to run marathons this year. I'm going to run Leadville 100. I'm going to do all these races, but I'm I'm dedicating it to something. It's not, if it's about me, I, there's no point of me going to say I ran a marathon. So it's still running. It's just that you did it in a race. You're going to run Leadville this year? 100%. I yeah. love it. Let yeah. be your first 100 miler? Yes. And I'm going to go do it at 12,000 feet. Yeah, I've yes. been there for the Leadville Hundred. I haven't run it myself. I've coached runners yeah. for it. I've been there to to crew. It's a it's a cool. Maybe event, I can use it as town. a crew. Yeah, I I paced um last one. I paced twenty five miles. Um, so you've been there. Of mine. Yeah, I've been there, and then I just showed up and then paced. And a lot of people are getting altitude sickness, and I was lucky. I didn't feel any of that. So that you would think that would have scared me. That made me think. Oh, could you imagine if I train? I didn't train with this, and I felt fine with the twenty five miles. Um, I was able to handle it. Um, I don't know if the performance was great or not, but like in my mind, how I felt physically, it was only 25 miles. Um, this wasn't the whole hundred, but I felt like, wow, I feel really good right now. Imagine if I actually dedicate training to this and then go out in the mountains a little bit to get acclimated with the altitude. I think I should be fine to finish that race. When did you start sharing your journey with others through social media, maybe by word of mouth and eventually, because I, I think this is your biggest platform on YouTube? Yeah, Belle, she, we started a YouTube channel, um, but it was just about us. It's called Culture, Couple Culture or Culture Couple, Couple Culture. So just about our life experience as vegan. We put like a video or two and we kind of left it. And then she was like, hella you should post about this running thing. This is really cool. I think people would be interested in this. And I keep saying, nah, I don't want to. It was just a personal thing. It wasn't designed for social media. And eventually, one day I caved in, it was day 163. I'll never forget that day the rest of my life. Um, she asked me again. I said, all right, I had already ran. And I said, let me go get a haircut. I got a haircut. She picked up a camera. She followed me. And that video was why I run every day. It was day 163. It was in October. And um, we decided to share it on, on YouTube and it didn't really catch on. And I put my first Instagram post too. All I wrote was day 163, da, 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 200, um, 200 and uh, I, had, I had 202 days to go. So I just put that and someone was like, what are you doing? Someone else said, training for life. So they got it. It wasn't anything about anything, but um, yeah. so that video months later went viral at the time for the channel. It was like old too. It was like two months sitting in. And over now we're getting like 20,000 views. People were flooding my DM on Instagram. Comments are coming. Are you still doing this? Can you update? So we said, right, let's start updating people. So we started to say day 254, run update. And we started updating on the channel. And the YouTube grew. Instagram was slow. Um, that started growing the last two years. But just started sharing the journey with everybody and as a lifestyle. And uh, people would ask me, did you do it for social media? I was like, no, I did it because I wanted, I actually didn't want to be on social media. It happened to be that I I was convinced to share it. And I'm glad I did that because um, it was more for people than myself now because I proved it to myself I can do it and I know I can do it. I want people to know that you can do anything you put your mind to. And I'm going to share 
all the stuff I go through, the injuries, the trials and tribulation. I share the good and the bad. Even when I share the bad, people will be like, why are you doing this? Stop. And my mindset about running is like life. When we go through a tough time in life, we don't tap out. We don't give up. We find a way we fight through. It might be tough. We might cry. We might hurt. We might feel miserable. We might have this stomach feeling that we can't sleep, but we don't tap out. We find another day, right? So with running, even when I'm injured, I run injured and I don't recommend it for everybody. And I don't think it's smart to do. Um, but also I know how my body feels. Also, I control the volume so I can handle that tolerance of pain without making it worse. So I get out there every day and make it done. So starting to share all those with people just to let them know that we can always find a way and it doesn't have to be running for you. So the whole social media thing became a blessing because of Belle. Um, if she hadn't convinced me to post it, I would be doing probably the same thing. No one would hear about it. Do you know what caused that initial video to kind of go viral almost overnight? Clueless. But no idea. at the time, there's no running on YouTube. And humbly, and um, I will say we made running relevant on YouTube platform. There's nobody. You put running, I would be the only one that come up. We were searching running on YouTube. I'd be the only one that come up. Run every day. Run day. I would be number one. And then people started sharing their own journey. And then you would see them in a list. And I would still be the first one to come up. Um, and we made running relevant on social media, not in a way where people didn't do it. Maybe people were doing it. And some people are doing this. People have longer streak than me, but they didn't share it. So people got courageous and saw me. And I love that. And let me share my journey. And I said, this is great. I want people to do this. And I love that too, because the people who are on social media also, they're like, you're the lucky one. It's your genetic. When I see other people doing it, I'm more happy for them because I said, look, see, it's not only me. He or she is still doing it too. And that's more prideful for me than myself because I let people know I'm not the lucky one. Um, it's because I wanted to do it. You can make it happen too if you want to do it. Um, and I think the fact that we were the only one there. So if anyone searched running, automatically YouTube would push that. So that give us a, a huge advantage to grow on, on, on YouTube and have so many viral videos on YouTube. And to a point where now people started shrieking, started posting run every day. And, and then it blew up definitely in a pandemic, the running thing, people searching. And I get countless of messages, people thanking me. And I'm like, no, I, thank you for thanking me. I appreciate that. But I give them fully full credit because at the end of the day, they had to get out there and put the run in. They had to get out there to put themselves online, to be vulnerable to online community, which is not always nice. Um, so our our platform, I think, really set the tone um, humbly um, to the running out there and to people understanding also that, yes, you don't have to be a professional to be called a runner. If you run two minutes, five minutes, you're a runner. It's just different level, different, different categories. It doesn't mean that you're not a runner. And also, you can go run and enjoy it and do it for fun. You don't have to do it to compete all the time. It's not about always oh, my 5K time trial. And if that's something you love doing, 100% go for it. But it's just about getting out there and moving your body because I really believe we're born and run. That's beautiful, man. And I think it's it just highlights that running can mean different things to different people. I mean, mm -hmm. I come from the competitive side of the sport. I'm still deeply embedded in it today. Yeah. And there is beauty in competition. But what yeah. I've noticed over the years is that there are a lot of people who are in that world and that's all they know and they can't see anything outside of it. They can't yeah. see the person who's running for their health or for their mental health mm -hmm. or who's running because that's where 
their community is. I can't understand mm -hmm. why they would run if they're, you know, if they're not going to race. And then on the flip side of it too, I've seen a lot of those people who look at the competitive runners and they don't understand that. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of what I'm trying to do through this podcast and my work yeah. with the newsletter is, is show people like running is running is running and it can mean different things to different people. And exactly. it's to your benefit, to everyone's benefit to understand why other people do it and to show others like what's possible through the lens of running. I mean, that's my mission with this with this podcast. And yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're someone who went out to do something for himself. Mm -hmm. And by sharing it with other people, you created this community. Yeah. And because of that, people are discovering what's possible for themselves through running. But yeah. as as we both know, like that's gonna apply to so many other areas and, of, and life. of yeah. your life. And that's yeah. so powerful. Yeah. That's what I love about it. And I, people say, you, I love running, but I see like my energy, my mood, everything, it just translates to everything. And it translates to me deciding, do it because you love it. So certain things I used to do just to do it, now I don't do it anymore. I don't at all. So running made me have that mindset. And it has changed my mood. It has changed the way I look at life. It has changed my perspective. It has changed me not envying people. Um, I used to envy people a lot in the soccer area. I used to look at people and be mm -hmm. like, I should be the one there. And then I, I had to tell myself because of running, I said, why is it okay that you can be there and they can't be there? Why can't you all be there? You know, why don't you just be happy for that person for what they're doing? Because they're also trying like you are. Cause I see running is trying mm -hmm. and just accept it. They're trying. If you can't cheer them on, don't say anything bad. Don't think anything bad. It's not even by saying, cause as soon as you think it, even if you don't say it, your intention is already set. So running made me change that whole it just changed your life. It translates anything. And when I see people who are elite, who are higher level than me, I get so much more energy. And I love going to running events. I like to see people. I want to see people who are better than me because it makes me feel like what's also that's out there that you can go for. And with running, I think it's just running. But the potential and the avenue of running, it's like unlimited, right? I can do ultra. I can do middle distance. I can do long distance. I can do the short one. like. 3,000 meters, 1,600 meters, 5,000 meters. And I smile sometimes because I'm like, this is never going to get old because if I get sick of long distance, I'm going to go do this one because it's still running. So it's just incredible. I can't stop smiling and thinking about it. I feel like as long as I'm healthy, like I can man physically go, even if I'm in pain, if I can move my legs, I will find another way of, of running or different areas of it. Oh, man, I, I love that perspective because I've been experiencing something similar myself, like 25 plus years into mm -hmm. this journey. And I mean, I raced cross country and track and then I moved on to the roads and I did marathons. And then uh -huh. in 2014 to 2017, I, I did ultras and I just ran a 1500 meter race last week for the first time since awesome. 2004. That's and amazing. Seven, uh, 18 years since I, I last spiked up and did that on the track. And yeah. I mean, yes, I have history with that, but it's kind of new to me now as yeah. I approach, you know, 40 years old. And I've, I've kind of landed in the same place that you just described where I'm like, you know what, when I get tired of this, 
in order to keep it interesting, I'll just do something different. I'll explore another avenue of of running. And I think there are a lot of runners who, you know, they identify themselves as marathoners or trail runners or ultra runners. And they, they do this thing. And I think when Mm -hmm. you do something like all the time, like, yes, you can love it, but at some point, you restrict it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you you get frustrated with it. And, Uh you know, you feel like you're just beating your head against the wall, especially if you have goals that you're, you're going after, but people are afraid to go and do something different and like train for a shorter event or move up to a, a longer event. I think that's such a great takeaway from yeah. what you just said. It's like if you get to a point where you feel stuck with your running, it's like there are a thousand other things that you could do. Yeah. And and if, if it's just running, also the beautiful part is you are still running. You are still running. That's not going away. It's just different different versions of it. So that makes me really excited for the future for my own journey as well. When you started sharing your journey and you're hearing from other people did it change your relationship to it at all like did you feel any additional pressure external pressure that you've Mm -hmm. had to work through as you hear from people who are like hey you're so inspiring or hey can you give me some advice you know about about this that and the other like did it ever just like feel feel like too much or or change your relationship to it in any way zero pressure because i always say do it with no pressure and with those people more eyes on me ever in my life um on the run platform but the fact that I preach not to let the outside dictate what you want to do. People wanted to just see me do races. I didn't just fall into that cave. I did it because I wanted to do it. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes I'll say, okay, because it doesn't bother me. I'll do it so you guys can see it. But if I definitely don't want to do it, there's no chance I'd put myself in that area mentally. Um, so the fact that I preach zero pressure, I make sure that I live by that too. So even having eyes on me, um, I I don't feel like I have to go run every day. And the thing is, I said, I give myself permission to quit anytime. I give myself permission to quit today, tomorrow. So if I go out there one day and I'm miserable and it's bringing me back that time where I, I didn't want to go back to, and I remember that time very well, I'm going to be the first one to pick up my phone and let my audience know, hey, what's up, my beautiful people? I'm going to give running a, a break now because um, it's not doing the same thing for me. And I think that's important because I want people to understand just because you do something and people know you for it and people expect you to do it, you don't have to feel stuck in it. So I think that's important. And I know the kind of person I am, I'll find something else to do. Um, whether that means my audience who came here just for running, they don't care anymore, that's okay. Um, but that's one of the things that's important. So I don't feel pressured at all. And yeah, I'm going to have tough days in running, but it doesn't feel like I'm I'm doing this because I don't want to do it. I do it because I accept the tough times because it makes me feel a certain way. So no pressure there at all. And in fact, it encourages me when I hear that. It encourages me that it's bigger than myself. It encourages me that to keep going because these people are looking up to you um, in a way where they're believing themselves now because they see you do it. So it's nothing but positive side of me. It's nothing negative that's going to make me feel like, oh, I got to keep going now. Well, I got to keep this persona. I got to keep this going because people are seeing it and expected. Because expectation should come from yourself first. You have your expectation, set it for yourself and don't have anything to distract you from it or put pressure on yourself because as soon as that happens, the mind is really strange because it could put you in deep areas and I'm trying to avoid that at all costs. How did your relationship with running or did your relationship with running change at all when the pandemic hit in early 2020? It didn't change at all. Um, people, well, in a bad way, people are like, how do you still run? Because the lockdown, I was like, thank God for America, the lockdown didn't mean... We couldn't be outside. It just means right. we can't be in crowded areas, stores. And I actually love it in a sense because the parks were empty. 
I'd be the only one. All I see was deers, birds, squirrels taking over the park. And I love that. Just nature. I wouldn't even play my music because I would just hear actually nature, no cars. So that was fun. Um, but what it did with the pandemic also, it made me improve because I started doing ultra distances, started doing these challenges that are longer because now I have so much more time in my hand. So I'm, I did a, I did my first ultra week. Um, I had I had like a 50 mile underneath me at the time. And then that fall, I ended up doing a 52 mile for fun. I just went out there to run that for fun because I, from my experience from the first 50 miler, I learned a lot and I was really sick, lost 10 pounds because I wasn't eating well. But I had my first ultra week where I was running 35 miles a day for a week, did 245 miles. And I really enjoyed that. And going back at the time actually allowed me to feel confident to run across the United States because I was doing that 35 miles a day, very comfortable for a week. And I didn't feel sore, injured, tight. The pace was pretty good. It was, in fact, too fast for ultra because you want to make sure you can do it for a longer time. Um, so that way, the pandemic allowed me to be um, to further my endurance in terms of the distance. Um, instead of just seven a day, I went longer many times. You've got a couple hundred thousand people subscribe to your YouTube channel. You've got, yeah. I think, close to 150,000 people following you on Instagram. Is mm -hmm. this what you do now? I mean, you're hella yeah, I'm, eBay runner. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I, I smile thinking about it. Like, this is my life. It, it's unreal. So yeah, I do this full time. Um, currently have zero sponsors. Um, I don't have a, a, a sponsor yet. And there will be sponsors um, to come. I just have to decide who I want to work with. But this is what I do. YouTube is our life. Um, everything we've done from the beginning. And the saying is it takes three years for something to come to fruition when you start a business or anything. It really took three years for us to get to this level minimum to start actually making some kind of income from it. And I smile because this is not work. This is something fun. But it also doesn't take away the fact that you work hard to being consistent. You work hard to get this content out, but you work hard for living the, the, t walking the talk you're doing what you're saying that you're doing so that's all hard work the long nights the long days when you're out there grinding and now people pay attention to it people see it um so it's all coming into something that's well worth it so i even though this is full-time for us i still train people um i i still like training people i i still will never let that go because i i can make income from running um i'm i'm, I'm a professional runner because i get paid to run but I also know the fact that for us, that it, it took a lot of hard work. And I even say, actually, the hard work also comes in um, into something that's this is making income because of the people. I say people sponsor me. If I had sponsor from brands and stuff, thank you, brands. But thank you, audience. You guys are my sponsor because those brands had to see the audience to want to sponsor me. That's how it is. That's the reality. And it's sad sometimes because there's people out there who are working hard who are doing hard things, even harder than what I'm doing. But the fact that there's no audience, sponsors are not coming in, but it doesn't take away the fact that they're working hard. So when I thank my audience, I say, thank you for being my sponsor, really, because I know I can go ask any brand, would you really have sponsored me if you didn't see the audience that I had? And I think many of them, if they're honest, I don't think they would because they see an opportunity of them tapping into your audience so exactly. they could be seen. So yeah, it's really like your the gratitude of just feeling like wow i'm able to do this for a living i don't understand so i tell people whatever you're passionate about stick to it do it every day you never know what will happen um and if nothing happens as long as it's making you happy that's the important part 
But if something like that happened where you can make a living off of it, that's icing on the cake. Because whether I was I had sponsors before, whether I'm going to get sponsors or not, this the motto of getting out there, no matter the circumstances, because it's changed me in so many ways, would have never changed. I would still be running. What I've been doing, same, same distance, higher distance, maybe not. But the fact that I would get, get out there, even if it was just 10 minutes a day, I would keep that going. How many people in your audience are you hearing from in a given day? So many. I can't keep keep up with responding. And I feel bad because I did. I used to always say in the beginning, no matter what, I'll get back to you. And someone did call me out and say, hey, hell, I'll wait till you reach a certain amount of audience. That's not going to happen. And they were right. Um, a lot of people every day. I just can't keep up with um, answering everybody. But I do my best to respond to as many as I can. Yeah. A couple things before we wrap this one up. I haven't asked you anything about your run across the country. You just mentioned yeah. it a few minutes yeah. ago. For anyone listening to this, go check out the Rich Roll podcast with Hella. He went into very deep detail yeah, on okay. that. So I don't want to rehash all of it here. But what did it mean to you to be the first black person to run across the United States? Um, the The goal wasn't that. The goal was to run for a nonprofit, Souls for Souls. Um, that was the, the, the priority. And then when this was coming to fruition, I'm hearing what people who have done this, they don't think it's been a, a colored person. Um, there was a, a thing of race that happened across America, um, where it was like so many colored people were running it. Um, actually there was like a, a really race, a full race and having, being solo, like a non-race a solo person, first person to do it was in the back of my mind at one point. And I'm like, that's really cool. Just just to show that anyone could do anything. Um, but the priority wasn't that because my task to run across the country wasn't, oh, I want to be the first to do this, right? I actually thought I would have been the first to even ever run across the country because I'm like, who would do this? I don't think anyone would want to put themselves to this misery. But that wasn't because I wanted that to be the case. It's just that I wanted to just make sure that I do it because I wanted to raise money for people who are in need that don't have shoes to wear and using shoes to to break the cycle of poverty. So that was my main priority. And then seeing things like that on top of it, you realize, oh, wow, this is something incredible. But I'm going to put myself through that was one of the best decisions I did again, because running is bigger than myself. And I want to use the privilege of running to raise awareness for stuff. If I can do that, and I, I love doing it. And yes, yeah, so it was painful to run across America, 84 days, 36 miles a day. And the last half was like no less than 40 for 47 miles a day, many times, uh, 50 miles in there, um, was really tough. But you just knew that everything you went through, the adversity, the struggle, um, uh, racial slurs, Eli, you, a cop almost pulling out a gun on you, getting chased by a lady the first week that she was going to stab you. I think she was on drugs or something. It makes it feel worth it because you know your task was to help somebody that's sitting home that day or, or today or whenever I was doing it that didn't have a pair of shoes to wear. But worst of all, their parents didn't have income to help them live, to have a healthy life or to even have food on the table or to go to school. So it makes you knock out that note. And the fact that so many incredible people around throughout that journey that were stopping to offer water, offering me a ride, giving me money. And I say, I'm going to put it toward the nonprofit. Um, they care for me as a stranger. I could have been a complete criminal, but they offered assistance. They offer for a ride. They offer their land for me to park my RV to sleep. It makes everything, those dark times don't even shine at all because they overtake. Um, so that journey was just incredible. Um, one of the uh, proudest things I've ever done in the running journey. 
and I don't think I can beat it and I'm not trying to top it, but um, I think it was one thing that was worth it and I don't regret anything of it. And in fact, it gets you thinking, can you do it faster? Because you learn so much, some mistakes that I made that I now would make again. It makes you think, I think I could do it faster. Um, but it was just, it, it was beautiful. Um, that journey was just something else within itself. How did you land on trying to do it in 84 days? That's pretty quick for getting yeah. across the country. Yes. You could have extended it out and taken a little bit longer and, you know, not 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 rushed as much, I guess. Yeah. Um, but why 84 days? So I told my sponsor at the time 100 days or less. Because, again, I think my whole, if you talk to me long enough, you'll know, pressure free. I knew 100 days, there's no pressure. Because especially during the pandemic, when uh. it hit 2020, I knew I was capable of 35 miles a day and 100 days was 32 miles a day. I'm like, I got that. So I'm just going to tell my sponsors that's the day because no matter what happens, I know that I can get their full support. They won't be like, this is taking so long, the finances, this and that. But in the back of my mind, very tight group with, with Bell, with people. I wanted 84, 85 days or less or 80, 80, 80 to 85 days. That's what I wanted. Um, and even Robbie Ballinger is the one that I've seen do um, when I wanted to do this. And I found him and I ran his last 17 miles with him. I was telling him, this is the day I want. So I didn't tell anybody that because I didn't want any pressure. Because now I know that's something area that I'm capable of. But if I don't, I just put out in the world. Now that's a pressure that's going to be on me. And I live my life with pressure free. So um, when I got to a point where the beginning was really tough, the first half was like 50 days. The, the elevation, I don't run in mountains in New Jersey. I'm not used to any of that. New Jersey is like, what, 92 feet above sea level. Elevation gain is different. So I struggled there. My knee was swollen. I never walked the mountain. I was running up the mountain because the pride in me was, you're here to run, now walk. And sometimes you probably can walk faster than me the way I was shuffling, ultra trouting with my poles. I'm trying to move. Um, but when I started getting out of these high elevation in the mountain, I was already wrecked. But um, I started picking up the pace. I went to 42 mile a day minimum, 44 mile a day minimum, and to 47 mile a day minimum. And I had 150 mile a day, but like I got to 47 miles. We got to keep that at minimum. And the last half just started being much faster, 34 days. And when I saw that I could go under 85, I was like, whoa, this is incredible. Let's make sure it's under 85. Well, you were smart by going west to east instead of finishing yeah. by going up and over the mountains at the yeah. end. You got them out of the way early and then found your groove as you as you made your way to the and east coast. The Appalachian Trail almost killed me because I forgot about Pennsylvania. So I hit a little bit of the Appalachian Trail and my Achilles started flaring up and like popping many times. So the last week was really tough with that. One thing I just thought of is you were describing all of that. The hell away is to under promise and over deliver. Over deliver. Because if you under promise, okay, you know you're capable of that. If you over deliver, good. And if you over promise and now something happened, life happens that you have no control of. The injuries I had no control of if I want to keep running every day out there, right? And then now you get pressure. Oh my gosh, I overpromised this. Now I can't do it. You start panicking. And now that's not good for your mind. Whatever with your mind transits your body, now the whole mission could come to nothing. So know your capability, but do it in a way where there's no pressure and you can have your self-expectation. Keep it with yourself. That's okay. And if you feel, don't feel like you let yourself down too if you can't do it. But know that you, you try your best. That's all you can come up to. But sometimes you will try your best and you know you try your best. But the fact that you set a high standard, everybody heard that, the pressure is so built up now. Now that's going to come and hunt you back. Last question. We're having this conversation early 2022. You ran across the country in 2000. 
2021. 21. What do you yeah. have on tap for this year that you're willing to share with all of us? Well, I'm, I'm doing with level 100. I'll tell you guys that. I'm going to try to do a couple of marathons. Um, but I will be running. And there's things that I, I want to do that I really can't talk much about. Maybe I can tell you after. But uh, um, but there's things. I'm a way where I like to be challenged. Um, I like tough stuff because I taught myself that you can do anything you put your mind to. And you hear that a lot from parents when you're younger. Um, I guess I really didn't believe it until I put myself out there. And after running across the country, one thing I will say that I learned about myself mentally um, and physically, I'm not afraid of any distance anymore. You want to do a 500 mile race? I'm not afraid of it. It doesn't mean I'm going to come in fast or come in anywhere. And I could come in dead last, last, but I just know that I have it in me to finish it. Um, I'll do my best. If that means crawling, if that means what I have to do to finish, I'll get it done. I might not even be able to run at the end, but I know I have it in me to finish. So running across the country really taught me that. So the reason I'm saying that is anything running, I'm up for it. Any challenges for running, I'm up for it because I know that I can do it as soon as long as I put my mind to it. And um, and it's good that I have a little bit of um, run under my belt and daily consistency uh, that helps as well. But the mental side of it is very important, um, knowing that something I'm going to I'm going to have something for you guys. I, I'm pretty sure I will. Some of it I don't even know yet, but I'll come up. I didn't even know I was going to run across the country, but it came up. So that's how it goes. Well, I'm excited to continue following your journey. I thank you for your time today. You're an incredible thank you, Mario. person. You have an amazing story, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the Morning Checkout Podcast. I appreciate you. I gotta, where in Massachusetts are you at? Well, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Now I live in California. So oh, if you want a break ooh. from winter and you want to come hey, west, you know what? make your way say, out this way. It's been, hey, it's been pretty nice recently. If I can come out here and then take some, um, some of your... Your advice, because um, I'm pretty sure you can help me out um, with your running track and history. Come out, take some advice, and do some workout with you, some run with you. That'd be awesome. That sounds would, great. I we'll would, make it happen. I, I would love to do that this year. That'd be awesome. Go out to Cali and, and get some miles in training. All right, let's do yeah. it. I got some world-class trails right outside my house. I'd love Sweet. to take you on them. So Sweet. open invitation. Come on yeah. out anytime. All right. Thank you so much, Mario. Okay, that's it for this week's episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. A big thank you to Tracksmith and the members of our Patreon community for making this episode possible. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me. They aim to celebrate, support, and contribute to running's distinct culture in everything that they do, from offering considered and original products for training, racing, and recovery, to creating experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. When you shop at tracksmith.com slash Mario and or if you use the code Mario22 when you check out, you'll get free shipping on your order and 5% of your purchase will go to the Tracksmith Foundation, a nonprofit that aims to give more people the opportunity to participate in track and field. When you shop at tracksmith.com slash Mario and or if you use the code Mario22 when you check out, you'll get free shipping on your order and 5% of your purchase will go to the Tracksmith Foundation, a nonprofit that aims to give more people the opportunity to participate in track and field. The Morning Shakeout's Patreon community is where super fans of the podcast and newsletter can support my work directly, interact with me, and also gain access to some exclusive content like the Weekly Rundown, which is a Patreon-only podcast that I co-host with my friend Billy Yang, a monthly Coach's Corner discussion where I cover training-related topics with a fellow coach or coaches, and other fun perks that pop up from time to time. 
You can join for as little as a buck a week at themorningshakeout.com slash support. Before we wrap up, I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's edited every episode of the podcast and makes it sound great week in and week out. Also, thank you to my right-hand man, Chris Douglas, for handling sponsorship sales and numerous other initiatives, and Jeffrey Stern for the editorial and social media assistance. I don't have a big team here at The Morning Shakeout, but these three guys have been crucial in helping keep this ship afloat. Finally, if you're digging this podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe for an annotated collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>